Well, here we are. It's been a couple weeks, so I figured I probably needed to do another podcast. Um, I'm going to do one just off the cuff here tonight. I don't have, uh, well, I mean, I have stuff, but uh, I didn't want to drop a whole giant episode on you, you know, another another book summary right away. I figured I could just talk about stuff this evening. Um, first off, it's July, and I've been doing the book club thing lately, and I think I want to keep that going. So this month of July, we're still early. It's it's You have time, and I'm going to ask you to read another book for July, and I'm sure that all of you will read the book. Um, I'm kidding. None of you will read it, but maybe, maybe, maybe one or two. Um, and the book we're going to do in July is Animal Farm. And Animal Farm is one of those books that you probably were supposed to read in high school and didn't, just like, uh, just like all those other books that I'm going to do. Uh, the reason I'm doing the book club, and I think I've said this before, but uh, it's, the, it's the way I'm going to keep teaching because I liked teaching. I'm not doing teaching anymore. I moved on. I'm on a on a new job. And uh, for those of you that listen often, you already know that. But I want to keep some of that alive. I want to transfer some of my lectures, some of my useless academic knowledge to somewhere. And the podcast is the best place to do that. So at the end of this month, I've decided the the podcast I'm going to do for July is going to be Animal Farm. It's by George Orwell, and if you you can find it, you can find it online for free. You, it's really easy to get a hold of Animal Farm. It's a short read. It's only ten chapters, I think. You could read it in a weekend if you wanted to, and. It's a, it's a fable, basically. It's a story about animals on a farm in England, but it is, uh, I guess a little preview here, it's all about the uh, Bolshevik Revolution in Russia and the rise of Marxism in Europe. And so it's, you know, it's perfect for the podcast. And uh, that's what we're going to do for July. So... I'm telling you right now, go read Animal Farm, read it again. I know that you, even if you've read it before, I know some of you have probably read it, but I guarantee you it's been a long time, and I promise you that if you read it again, you will find things that you didn't notice before. It will, it will ring more true to you now than it did before. So, that's July. The topic of tonight, I, once again, I'm just going off the cuff, but I did, I've had some thoughts this week, and one of them has been the, there's kind of an uprising going on right now in the Netherlands with the, the Dutch people, because the, the government in the Netherlands has passed some new law 
and it is a green energy climate change law that is meant to reduce the imprint of agriculture. Basically, from what I've, I haven't read very much, but from what I've read, the Dutch government basically just took, or maybe not took the land, but put a whole bunch of farmers out of business. One thing I didn't know until this week was that the Netherlands, even though it's a tiny little country in Europe, is a very large exporter of their agricultural stuff. Uh, I That came as a complete surprise to me because I did not know that was the case. I mean, there, there are a lot of countries in Europe that are uh, large agricultural countries. Ukraine is one of them, which is you know, people are starting to see the effects of the Russia-Ukraine conflict when it comes to agriculture right now. But uh, but the Netherlands is another one. And it, it's another example. And this, is, this gives me a chance to kind of stump for my book, which is basically what I'm going to do this evening is stump for trying to get you to listen to the book. Because I know a lot of you like the podcast, but you're really not into books or audiobooks uh, so you you skip those book episodes and you just listen to these episodes and how dare you actually because the whole point of this podcast was to uh, was to do audiobooks for my wonderful book series that uh, that I wrote over the past 10 years anyways I'm starting to feel a little bit like Orwell or Huxley <laughs> because the things that are going on in Europe with the climate change movement, and in America too, is the, the ruling class and the ruling political party pushing new green energy laws that are decimating the agricultural industry. And this is something that influenced my writing of the book because this is uh, i don't know i sound like i'm almost bragging here but i promise i'm not this is something i saw a decade ago when they started talking about carbon taxes and emissions taxes and taxes on cow farts and all of that stuff um i've never well i don't want to say i've never been when i was younger I was, let's say, slightly drawn into all the conspiracy stuff when it came to the United Nations Agenda 21 and all that stuff that said things like, you know, they're, they're going to shut down agriculture in order to, to stymie global warming because the the church of climate change and make no mistake climate change has become a church a religion the church of climate change is going to demand it and the millennial generation the gen x generation the gen z generation has been so inundated with this idea that the world is literally coming to an end, that they believe it. 
And the whole basis of my book series, A Long Way Back to Zion, is this idea that if you truly believe in the climate change narrative, if you truly believe, like so many millions of people in the Western world believe, that the end of the world is on the horizon if we don't do something about climate change. If you really believe that, there's really only one answer. And that only one answer, because the idea that you're going to get the entire globe on board with shutting down industrialism and in the industrial revolution and getting rid of that and and not progressing forward cuz we in the western world in this civilized world in the first world nations we had the industrial revolution and the effects of the industrial revolution which i don't know why this is not harped on more in school modern medicine travel internet air travel, going to the moon, all of this started with the Industrial Revolution. It made people live longer. It dropped the infant mortality rate drastically. Before the Industrial Revolution, the infant mortality rate was very high. The, uh, the average age that someone would die was much, much lower than it is today. And the Church of Climate Change tells us that the Industrial Revolution was the, the first thing that happened that started to destroy the planet. So, if you believe in all of the, the Church of Climate Change and you, you adhere to this new wacky religion that global warming and climate change has become, there's really only one answer. You're not going to get the whole world on board with putting all of these practices that you want into place. And if you follow that line of logic down the road to its inevitable end, that inevitable end is that you have to get rid of a large portion of the human population. There are too many people on the planet. That's the line you always hear. There's way, we're overpopulated. There's way too many people. Overpopulation is going to destroy us. If you truly believe that, and you think that that is inevitable and, and, and it's going to destroy us, there's only one answer. There's only one solution. And it is, if you think about it, and I'm going to give you a second, give you a couple seconds to see where I'm going with this. Because if you think about it, the solution is absolutely horrifying. Because the solution is that we've got to get rid of a whole bunch of people. And this is, there's a lot of things that have happened. The, the, the Dutch thing this week with the farmer rebellion in the Netherlands. And then today, somebody blew up the Georgia Guildstones, which are, I don't know if you know about those, but they're these weird kind of a stone monument in Georgia that is a, it's supposed to be some kind of guide for 
rekindling humanity after some kind of existential crisis. But on the Georgia Guildstones, it says something like, oh, you, you have to keep the human population below 500 million. And I read about the Georgia Guildstones and, and all that way, way back 10 years ago or so. And it was a catalyst for me writing the book because I sat down when I started writing a long way back to Zion. I sat down and said, okay, if, if this is going to be the thing that drives my generation and the generations to come, what – if we're truly going to believe it, what are people going to be willing to do? And the answer I came to, of course, is horrifying. And that is we have to reduce the human population. And when I say reduce the human population, I don't just mean that people are going to have to have fewer children, which is I think what everybody kind of thinks of is like, well, if people just stop having kids, then we'll probably be okay because our population will go down. And in the Western world, that's happening right now. We are below replacement level in most modern Western nations. And people don't realize that that is a, I mean, that's a problem in the long term for the, you know, for the continuance of, of nations. If you look at China, when China instituted its one child policy to, to combat their population growth, it didn't end well. Not only was it this just terrible, moralless, evil thing that had Chinese people throwing their babies into dumpsters, that absolutely happened. If you you don't have to look very hard to look up the the causes of the one child policy in China. There's a horrifying documentary on it if you want to go watch it. And I forget what it's called right off the top of my head, but I guarantee you'll find it. The, the outcome of that was that China, after the one-child policy, ended up with a whole bunch of older people in their, in their population and not nearly enough younger people to take care of that population. And so China jumped forward and, and changed that policy to a, a two-child policy, I think, or a three-child policy, and they were just as uh, propagandist about that as they were the one-child policy. But the point of all this is saying if we, if we truly believe that, we have to reduce the human population. And you can't do that just by one-child policies and convincing your population to abort their babies, which is what the United States has been doing up until recently. Well, still today. But uh, Roe versus Wade got overturned, so that might be a help, at least in red states. Um, anyways, if that's what you believe, you have to believe in reducing the human population. And if you truly, truly believe in redu reducing the human population, the only way to do it is by genocide. And 
Nobody thinks about this when it comes to the the church of climate change. Nobody draws this very obvious logical conclusion to genocide. But that is the only endpoint, the only road in which you can travel if you believe in reducing the human population. And so when I saw the thing about the Netherlands this week, it kind of, uh, it made me a little, I don't know, nervous, but it made me think of my books because in the world of my books and in the, the world that my books take place in, the first thing that happened was one child policies and forced abortions to reduce the human population. And then when that didn't work, and when people were still having babies, especially in the third world, then they had to get a little more direct. And in my books, the the group that does this is called the GNU. And the they're called Global Nations United. It's just a it's another version of the United Nations. But uh, it's this idea of a global network of people, especially in the Western world, who want to control all of the governments in the Western world. And when I started writing the books, this was this was conspiracy stuff. This was stuff that everybody kind of, I don't know, laughed at me about. But here we are, I don't know, eight to ten years since I started writing the books, and they're being completely open about it. Uh, they're, they're saying this out loud in a way that I really didn't think I would see within 10 years of starting my books. And one thing that I wrote in the books that I think I'm absolutely going to be proved right on is with the Ukraine war going on, and this, the Dutch laws that have been passed that are going to reduce the Netherlands' output of agriculture and things that are going on in the U.S. that are going to reduce agricultural output. These things have a very real possibility of causing famines. And you don't think about that in the first world because the idea of a famine in America where one of our biggest problems is obesity is not something that's on anybody's radar. But in the third world, famines cause death and infant mortality rates to rise. And this is something that's a very real possibility, if not now inevitable with the war in Ukraine and the lowering of agricultural output around the world. And the one thing I said in a long way back to Zion, and this was early in the books. I think it was in book two when, when the characters find a an old history book, was that the, the government would blame climate change for the reduction in agricultural output. And I can almost guarantee you right now that they're going to do that. They're not going to blame the, their green policies to reduce climate emissions for a loss in agricultural output, even though that's absolutely, positively, 
100% what has caused agriculture output to fall, uh, industrialization to fall. That is the number one driving factor in the lowering of the, the agricultural output because if you put a carbon tax on people, less people are going to farm. And I don't remember exactly what I wrote in the books because I don't have them in front of me. Like I said, I'm doing this off the cuff. But I wrote something along the lines of they, uh, the party said that this was the Earth's revenge and all the people believed it. And I think that that's definitely going to come to pass. If there are bad famines in the third world, they're not going to blame all of the bad green energy policies, which are, as a result of the Ukrainian war, Europe is really hurting because Europe has been relying on Russian natural gas and Russian fuel all this time because they wanted to feel better about themselves for fighting climate change. And now all of a sudden, with the, the problems in Ukraine, Europe has cut off Russian fuel. And obviously, with the problems in Ukraine, agricultural output from Ukraine is going to fall. And now, because of green energy policies in the Netherlands, that's going to fall. And because of problems in the U.S. with inflation and uh, there's a lot of farmers and ranchers in the U.S. hurting right now. And that's going to continue, especially if we fall into some sort of recession, which we're almost certainly going to. All of this has been caused by green energy policies in some way or another. But if you think for one second that the ruling class is going to admit that it's their green energy policies that have a hand in this, you are fooling yourself. They're going to go on the news if there are famines in the third world, and they're going to say that these famines are a result of climate change. And that's scary enough. But the thing that's even more frightening than that is that a lot of people, if not most people, are going to believe them. They're going to take them at their word, and they're going to say, yes, climate change is to blame for this. It isn't our stupid green energy church of the climate dumbass policies. They're going to say that it's climate change that's causing all this, and everybody's going to believe them. And you're going to be sitting there, looking around at all these freaking idiots and thinking that you're the only sane person in the room. And that's really where all dystopian books kind of gather. Because 1984, A Brave New World, uh, and I'm not putting my book in the same category, but Long Way Back to Zion... It's all the same message is that everyone else is buying into this insane lie and there's only one – like the main character of the book – and this is in 1984 and Brave New World, not really in my book. But the main character is kind of alone 
in thinking that there's something wrong, like there, something about the truth has been stripped away. And in those books, it's been too long. They don't know what it is. But what it is is that the truth itself was slip, was stripped away and was replaced with a lie. And that lie for us is going to be that all the problems that we're going to face are because of climate change. And that's going to be a lie. But people are going to believe it. And I don't know. I feel a little bit vindicated in seeing that 10 years ago. And I'm not the only one that saw that coming. A lot of people saw that coming. But there are a lot of people nowadays who can see that now who 10 years ago were calling me a conspiracy theorist and a crazy person and, oh, it's you're, you're being kind of crazy. And I, I don't know, it's, it's awful and horrible and terrible, but I do feel a little vindicated in that I was right. I was right about the church of climate change. I was right about what they are preaching. And I really, really hope that I am not right about what happens next. Because in my books, what happens next is everyone believes it, everyone goes along with it, and everyone just kind of lays over and takes it until it's too late. And that's the, that's the dystopian novel for you. So if you want to, if you want to go, if you want to read the books from that perspective, that's the perspective you should read them from. Because that is the, the idea where the books started to an extent was the idea of uh, the belief in climate change overtaking everything else and resulting in this global catastrophe that in the minds of the church of the climate succeeds. Because in my books, the global population drops from you know, where it is, seven, eight billion, down to a few million or a couple hundred million is what happens in my books. And there are, if you don't know it yet, there are people in the world right now that think that that is the best possible thing that could happen. There are people who think that it would be better if... 7 billion people were to die and not have children rather than the world keep going on as it is. And to me, that's a horrifying notion. To me, that's more horrifying than the eugenicist of the, of the 20th century that culminated in, in Hitler and the destruction of the Jews uh, I think this threat that we're going to face, this philosophical threat, I think is even more terrifying than what happened in World War II and then later with the rise of communism. And I don't want to say it's inevitable because I'm still, you know, we're sitting at the at the beginning point of it. But if I'm being pessimistic then yes, I think that that is what is coming. 
And so if you want to see a vision of the world, uh, of what I think is coming, then you should listen to my audiobooks. And it will, it will show you kind of an insight into my mind of what that looks like. And uh, this is a spoiler, but uh, it's not too bright and sunshiny. It's a pretty horrifying world. So, that's about 30 minutes. I, I think that's a, good, uh, that's a good placeholder episode for this week. And I would like you all to go read Animal Farm. And then I promise kind of a long form. I think I can do Animal Farm in one or two episodes. And I know I said I would do Lord of the Flies in one or two episodes, and that turned into three. But Animal Farm is a much shorter book. And I feel like uh, I feel like cutting an analysis into three different episodes is kind of rough for some people. I've been looking at the numbers of Lord of the Flies, and it looks like, you know, I had a lot of listens to episode one, less to episode two, and then even fewer to episode three at this point. And that's been out for about a month. So I feel like despite everyone's best efforts, they kind of lose interest after an hour or so. So I'm going to do my best to, to squeeze Animal Farm into, you know, an hour, two hours, something like that. And try to fit it all into one episode so that I can keep your attention and can teach you about George Orwell's Animal Farm. Because e- even a- as much as 1984, Animal Farm is a book that you can learn more about humanity and the future even though it was written back in the 1950s so thanks for listening to the capo podcast thanks for your time i look forward to talking to you soon have a good evening